open up the word <clears throat> to John 18. While you're turning there, one thing that I did not mention in the announcements, you probably could tell this, that I forgot because I, I prayed about it, um, but I wanted to update you a little bit on the uh, debt payoff. Um, you know, for the last couple weeks, I've been saying, like, we made the decision to start in January 1st, but we actually didn't. We, we actually didn't start until the beginning of February, so, um, which kind of magnifies what God's done a little bit more, but we started the the time off at 11200 and some odd dollars, and um, as of this week, we were down to 3600 um, and some other numbers, but I can't remember all those numbers, so we'll just go with 3600 and um, yeah, I think that's worthy of a whoop-whoop. Um, the Lord has been extremely gracious, and we're two weeks away, and I'm pretty sure it's going to happen, and so... Um, I think we should all rejoice in the work that God's done in that. All right, so today we will continue our look at Jesus. We have kind of moved past the farewell discourse at this point. Um, his last hours, really, with the disciples. Um, it's kind of sobering, really, to think that we've been in and out of the Gospel of John, working through it slowly for about three years um, if I can remember correctly, which is not likely, but I'm pretty sure it was around three years. Um, and to think that we started back in at the beginning of the year in John 12, and we have literally spent the last three and a half months, four and a half months, it's going to be one of those, okay, um, in the farewell discourse, looking at really the last few hours of Jesus and the way that God has graciously kind of put this together to where we come to the cross on Good Friday and to the resurrection on Easter Sunday, and we will finish the week after that, the Gospel of John. It's been pretty amazing. Um, and to be able to follow that path, not just like a week long where we look at or just a few weeks where we look at the passion story, but, but really for three years leading up to this moment. And it is only by God's grace that we can do that. We set out in the Gospel of John with the anticipation to fulfill the purpose of the Gospel of John, which we find in chapter 20, verse 31, so that you may believe. So that we, may, that we may believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And we have looked at so many different aspects of Jesus' life and ministry. Um, his deity, the, the works of his hands, the, the many I am statements, the miracles of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. And, and now we come to really these last couple weeks where we see the culmination of all those as we reflect on the glory of Jesus. Have you ever heard the saying, you can't see the forest for all the trees? We've had a couple opportunities um, with the guys in New City to go hiking. Um, and I'm not going to get into all the disaster stuff. I just want to kind of give you my perspective because you've heard enough of that, right? One thing that on the last trip I caught myself doing as we were hiking was watching my footing. So I'm, I'm watching where I'm stepping. Um, it was wet, kind of slick in a few spots, you know, 
I don't want to be the guy who trips and rolls down a mountain. I would be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. But it kind of hit me at one point that I'm, I'm paying so much attention to, to that that I'm actually missing the glories in front of me, the beauties of God's creation. And it, and it made me kind of think that so much of our life is really like that. Like we put our head down and we focus on our own goals and our own dreams, our own plans that we want to define our lives, that we hope will define our lives, yet they actually cause us to miss our true purpose altogether. Like, I'm, I'm so laser-focused on what God wants me to do. I mean, that, that's kind of what we hear, right? I mean, we even, I, I remember in, like, third grade specifically, the, like, having this project, you know, write down what you want to do for the rest of your life. Well, I'm sure none of us hit the nail on the head with what we wrote down, if we can remember that. I wrote down to be a Major League Baseball player. That didn't happen. But how much of our lives do we spend going after goals that may be good, but they fall short of great? They fall short of our ultimate true purpose. I mean, because the reality is, is we all want to find purpose and meaning in life, right? But the flip side of that is we tend to look in the wrong places. We tend to go after the wrong things. And really in the same mold of that, many look at Jesus and they look at Christianity and we focus on the wrong things. We focus on our works, our morality, our appearances, whatever, you fill in whatever those blanks are, and we completely miss the beauty of the gospel of God's grace and redemptive history. I mean, because it's easy to focus. I mean, we're Palm Sunday, right? I mean, I'm sure that the majority of churches are preaching, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, they're preaching that passage this morning, and they're focused on the, the ascent to the cross. But, but how often do we miss the entirety of the, the scope of God's redemptive story, right? And how often do we miss how that affects our lives. See, the passion story continues here where we're going to be today in the latter half of chapter 18 with Jesus before Pilate. And what we see is that the passion story, this, this leading up to the cross and the fact that Jesus endures the cross, what we see in all of that is that it brings to light the forest. It shows us the magnificent beauty of God's work in redemption through Jesus. I mean, we think, we've spent time looking at Genesis. We've, sorry, we've spent time throughout the last nine years looking at different portions of Scripture. And my hope and my prayer is that we have always been faithful to point to Jesus. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and they were talking about how, like, what are some mistakes they had made in early ministry. And, and one guy said, you know, I, 
I fear about all of the moments in my early ministry that I preached the Old Testament and never pointed to Jesus. All of life points to the redemptive work of Jesus. And I think so often we miss it. We miss the beauty of what God is doing and what God has done. The only reason you and I are here is because God chooses for us to be here. I mean, how often do we take for granted life itself? And this morning, as we look at verses 33 of chapter 18 and into chapter 19, the main idea is this, that beholding Jesus as the gracious and sovereign king results in lives that desire to glorify him in all of life. I'm going to read that again. That beholding Jesus as the gracious and sovereign king results in lives that desire to glorify him in all of life. I want to pray for us, and then after that, we will look at and navigate this period of time where Jesus is before Pilate. Our Father, I am so thankful that you have given us your word and rejoice in the fact that you promise it will not return void. And God, there are just some days when I personally stand up here and I don't feel great and my voice is jacked up and uh, my mind's just not working properly and I want to just be down about that and I want to to have fear that I'm not going to do justice to your word. And then I'm reminded, it's not even me that's speaking. If I just put your word before us, God, you speak to us through the work of your Holy Spirit. And I'm so thankful of that. I'm so thankful that I don't have to get up here and try to come up with something fresh and something new and something captivating. No, because your word is ever before us. And the beauties and the magnificence and the glories of your word as they give us a glimpse into the redemptive purposes that you've set in motion are enough And my prayer is, God, that as we look at your word today, you will do that again and again, that you will show yourselves to us in a way that we have never seen before so that we cannot leave here the same way that we entered. That our lives be wrecked by the good news of Jesus. And that as we are wrecked by the good news of Jesus, we're sent out to declare that good news to others. To be disciples who make disciples who make disciples until the whole world hears. 
So God, we're asking, I'm asking, I'm pleading that you speak to us in your word through the work of your Holy Spirit this morning. That you make much of yourself through my frail attempts to explain your glorious text. That we would leave here today saying what a mighty God we serve. So Father, we ask that you speak. That you speak in power, that you speak in truth. And that you do what only you can do and that is transform the lives of your people. To the glory of your name. That we may behold our King, whose name is Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. As we begin to look at this time of Jesus before Pilate, we start with Jesus being questioned by Pilate. 18, chapter 18, starting in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say this, say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So Jesus is before Pilate. Remember last week, Jesus is arrested and he's taken before Annas and Caiaphas. And then he's released to Pilate. And here is where we pick up this interaction between Pilate and Jesus. And immediately Pilate begins to question Jesus' kingship. See, Jesus had been rejected by the Jews, by his people as the rightful and promised king, the Messiah, why? Because he was different. He's not who they thought he should be. He didn't come from the proper family. He didn't have the right amount of wealth or power or background. He was simply a humble man born in a manger to people from Nazareth. And here he is, a carpenter with no former majesty that we should look at him. And he is claiming that he is the Messiah, that he is the chosen one. Remember last week we alluded to the part of Jesus' ministry where he sit in the temple and they hand him the scroll and he unrolls it and it's the scroll from Isaiah and he finds the text and he's explaining that he is the Messiah. So he is the fulfillment of all that they had longed for and all that they had looked forward to. 
but he didn't look like they thought he should look. He didn't carry himself the way they anticipated him to carry himself. And so they thought that he was a lunatic and they rejected him. And because of that, he was taken as a fugitive. He was treated as a fugitive. However, as Jesus is explaining to Pilate, he says that his kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is otherworldly. It's quite different. It's different than any other kingdom. He's different than any other king. His kingdom is not formed on earthly powers and earthly ambition. His kingdom is set apart by God to do the work of God. His kingdom is heavenly. And it serves quite a different purpose. See, earthly kingdoms serve a king. They do everything to appease their ruler. They do everything because they have been called by their king to do them so that the king could be served and that the king could be made much of. Yet Jesus' kingdom is about the king coming to serve his kingdom, not the other way around. And we know that in the book of Revelation, towards the end of the story, Jesus says he comes to make all things new. His purpose was much greater than Pilate could have ever understood. And here's the truth. The truth for us is that we are created for a greater purpose as well. Like our purpose, we again, we, we have this fixation on living a certain way, accomplishing certain goals, but, but those things pale in comparison to what God has actually called us to. But we're created for a greater purpose. And the more we know Jesus, that is the more we come to know Jesus. We study his word and we see him show himself through his word. And the more we understand about the graciousness of Christ, that is, we understand the depth of our sin and we understand what God has done through Jesus, the more we will be ready and willing to embrace our purpose, which is actually pretty simple. The Westminster Catechism says it's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the chief end of man. Robbie Gallaty is a preacher at Long Hollow Baptist Church, and he is a big-time proponent of discipleship. But anyway, he makes this comment over and over and over again. He says, the goal of my preaching is not simply to show people what they are saved from, but in that to let them see what they are saved for. And that sounds great. And it's spot on. It really just echoes what we say pretty much weekly, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? Like we want to grab a hold of Ephesians 2 and 8, I mean 2, 8 and 9, that that it's for by grace that we've been saved through faith, that God has saved us through his work and his work alone. It has nothing to do with me, has nothing to do with my power, has nothing to do with my gifts or my abilities. It's completely a work of grace in Christ. And we so often forget, verse 10, that we are his workmanship created by him for good works, which he has prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. So it's not that we understand what we are saved from, that is the depth and the wretchedness of our sin. That is a great part of it, but we have to understand that it moves from there to being the people who have been set apart to do the work of God. And the more we understand who God is and the more we see the works of God, especially in Christ, displayed through all the scripture, displayed through all of history, the more we will embrace our purpose to live by his grace and for his glory. 
And one of those truths is seeing that Jesus is a sovereign king. And he is the truth. He is the very definition of truth. And so when he speaks, he speaks with authority. You know, there's this interaction several times between Jesus and the religious leaders and and some of the Jewish priests where Jesus is speaking and Jesus is preaching and, and there's reference that he speaks as one who has authority. The root of that phrase is that he's constantly telling them what they should have already have known. When it talks about him speaking with authority, what he's saying is that he's speaking the words of the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, over and over and over again. He's speaking with authority that no one has ever heard before. But he's not just simply telling them the scriptures and he's not just proclaiming the scriptures. But what he's doing in that is he's declaring his own glory among the nations. He's showing himself to be the great and mighty God. See, he is the ultimate authority. We see that over and over in the New Testament where Jesus declares that he has authority given by God to do his work to be over And above all things. And his purpose, which was from the beginning, will be accomplished. There is nothing that is going to stand in the way of King Jesus. There is nothing that can move him off of his plans. As we talked about it last week, Judas in betraying Jesus and Judas um, organizing the mob that would come to arrest Jesus seems that they're ambushing some innocent man, but the reality is, is they're being ambushed by the redemptive plan of God. That it's God who has orchestrated this whole event to show that He is willing to endure the shame and to be despised by men. Why? Because Isaiah says it's the will of the Lord to crush Him. This was the plan from the beginning. And that plan has never faltered and that plan will never fail. And Jesus was on his ascent towards the cross. And here's the reality for us, the truth, that Jesus is the king of kings and he is the sovereign and creator, sustainer of all. By him we move and live and have our being. All things were created by him and for him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the very definition of truth. And we see him talking in this discussion with Pilate exposing that. Pilate's probably a little confused at the whole situation actually. Because he's been given this title king of the Jews. Yet it was the Jews who brought him in. They wanted their king dead. And so he's really just simply trying to get down to the bottom of it. But where there is no confusion is in Jesus. There's no confusion on what his purpose was. There's no confusion on the circumstances that are in front of him. And although it appears that his life is in the hands of his accusers, it isn't. No, he is ruling and he is reigning. And the same goes for you and for me that 
if you have trusted him with your life, if you have surrendered your life into his hands, acknowledging your need for him to save you from your sin, he is ruling and he is reigning in your life, and he is truly fulfilling Romans 8, that he's working all things together for good. And so the call is to trust him and entrusting him to live for him. Pilate's questioning Jesus about his kingdom and his kingship, and the reality is is that he can't quite understand the magnitude of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus wisely answers, and he shows himself to be the truth. Now, the people in revolt because of just the darkness and the the hatred in their heart towards Jesus, had the opportunity to release Jesus, and they choose to release Barabbas instead. It says Barabbas was a robber, but when you really begin to break down what that means, Barabbas was a vile human being. He was a robber among many things. He was a murderer. He was a thief. It's a horrible individual. And yet these people are so blind to the truth set before them that they are willing to release this vile, heinous criminal instead of releasing the most righteous and innocent man who has ever lived, who ever will. And so after this first initial presentation that Pilate has of putting Jesus before the people he takes him back in and he's flogged look at verses 1 through 5 and then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and he said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Pilate's in a great dilemma here. Does he believe the words of Jesus? Does he believe the claims of Jesus, which up to this point seem pretty spotless? Or does he give in to the pressure of the Jewish leaders? So in an attempt to appease the Jewish leaders, he takes Jesus in and he he has him flogged and beaten and, and battered and humiliated and mocked. Beat him until his flesh is completely mutilated. And and they take this crown of thorns and they place it on his head until it pierces his brow. And they take this purple robe in mockery and they place it on his mutilated flesh. And they craft a sign and they present him again in front of the people. The interesting thing is, still, up to this point, Pilate has the authority to release Jesus. 
but he doesn't. He feared men more than he feared God. He was more afraid of the backlash that was going to happen from the Jewish people led by the religious leaders instead of doing the right thing. And so in order of hoping to satisfy them, he has this whole thing happen where Jesus is just absolutely beaten and humiliated. And he's presented once again before the people. And he says, behold the man. And in essence, what he is saying is, look, isn't this enough? This man has been beaten to the point that most people would have already died. He has been mocked. He has been humiliated. He has been broken down. Hasn't he suffered enough? Doesn't this satisfy you? Notice what happens after that. Look at verses 6 and 7. When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. Four times in this section we find Pilate repeat this line, I find no guilt in this man. It's clear to him that the accusations given to Jesus are false. But one of the most amazing big picture forest moments here is that it's through Pilate that God is announcing his innocence. The innocence of his son. And it's the innocence of his son that's paving the way for that son, Jesus, to fulfill once for all the necessary means of the atonement that the Old Testament rituals and sacrifices couldn't provide. Again, everything was pointing to Jesus. Everything was making its way for Jesus. Every moment. And even though there are times in Scripture where it doesn't specifically say this is about Jesus, it's about Jesus. From the very moment that Adam and Eve sinned against God and rebelled against God, God made a promise that He would make it right. That he would crush the head of the serpent, even though the serpent were bruised the heel of his chosen one. Jesus is the chosen one. And how ironic that they're in the midst of celebrating Passover, where it's God overlooking the sin because of the sacrificed lamb. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus. No more rituals, no more sacrifices, no more checking boxes, jumping through hoops. No, it's Jesus and Jesus alone that fulfills all of redemptive history. However, when Jesus is put before the people and they hear Pilate say, I find no guilt in him. It's the chief priests who lead the way in shouting, crucify, 
and they demand his death. And the people simply follow suit. Again, it is the chief priest who, if any, that should understand that Jesus is fulfilling God's purpose of redemption. They would have been the ones who have known the word greater than any of the other mob of people. That's why they're in the position they're in. Because they had given themselves to hear and know and to study the word. The word was everything to them. They couldn't see the forest for the trees. They could see the details, the the rituals. They could see the laws, but they couldn't see the giver of the law. They couldn't see the fulfillment of all of those rituals, of all of those sacrifices in Jesus. And ultimately what we see is that Pilate, being the only human at this point possible outside of Jesus himself, with the authority to release Jesus is also the one who has the only authority to crucify him. He's the one that has the right to give the order. And he gives in because of his fear of man. Right? Because at one point it says, no, you take care of it. As to say, I don't want anything to do with this. You do it. But he was so afraid of the retaliation that he continuously gives in. How many of us respond like this on a daily basis? I mean, because if we did an honest, well, let's take that word out. If we did a poll and we said, how many of us fear man more than God? Probably none of us would raise our hand. We took honest out, remember? Yet, we do. I do. Every day. And the truth is that we overexert ourselves for man's approval rather than living in joyful obedience to the call of God. We're more worried about what does it look like that I'm doing? What will so-and-so think about what I'm doing? How can I better show Jesus so that people will know that I am one of his, but not in the way that we should be declaring his glory, right? Because in Scripture it says that we should do good works so that people may see us and give glory to our Father who is in heaven, but how often, because of the fear of man, do we do the opposite? We do the good works so that people can see us and glorify us, thinking that we're actually following Jesus. You tracking with me? We spend our entire lives fearing people, fearing man, when none of us have died to save the other. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that dies to save us. So what's the answer? What's the answer to what we see in the work of Jesus? You rest in the perfect saving grace of Jesus. Jesus suffers so that we don't have to. And when I say suffer, I mean suffer the penalty of sin. Because we're going to suffer. But our suffering pales in comparison to the sufferings of Christ. 
And maybe you're here and be like, I don't know, man. Jesus didn't have a kid that laid up in an emergency room. Jesus didn't have a kid that broke his arm. Jesus didn't have a kid that he lost. Jesus didn't have cancer. Jesus didn't lose his job. No, Jesus bore the wrath of God. Again, don't miss the forest for the trees. I may suffer greatly in this life. But I will never suffer to the extreme that Christ did. How do I know that? Because Christ suffered it for me. He bore my sin in his body on the tree. And he's done that for you. And the only true response to the graciousness of God in Christ is to rest in the perfect work of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I can live in sin? Does that mean I can live however I want to? I mean, because this is not the first time you've ever heard me say something along these lines, but I mean, in our culture, we proclaim the gospel and people come forward and they get a little bit of fire insurance. They get baptized and they be a part of the church for a little bit or maybe even for a long time, but they continue to live their life completely unchanged. Paul answers that in Romans, right? Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And he, he, he responds with an exclamation point. By no means. No, it is the work of God in Christ that not allows us to live how we want to live, but, but as we are changed by it and as we are saved by him, we live in sacrificial worship. We live by his grace and we live for his glory. Not as one who has been or is being led with a whip or a rod, but one who joyfully serves because of the free gift of God in Christ. So by this point, Pilate is greatly concerned with the situation at hand. There seems to be a lot of gravity to what Jesus is saying. He's finding no fault, no guilt. But he's also completely fearful of those who are outside of his door who are going to riot if he releases Jesus. I mean, even his wife was greatly troubled, right? Something was not right about this situation, and he knew it. So what's he do? He asked more questions. Look at verse 8. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. 
And he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate's questioning Jesus a little more. He's trying. He's trying to figure it out. He's trying, trying the best to figure out the best way to help Jesus, kind of, without causing too much ruckus. So, so he's questioning Jesus, and what does Jesus do? Nothing. Jesus says nothing. And so Pilate kind of gets infuriated in verse 10. It says, so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? As in to say, wait a minute, do you not know who I am? Because he even goes on and says, do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Don't you know who you're talking to, Jesus? So Jesus finally responds. Verse 11. So Jesus answered him. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who is, therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now, how many of us, right, just say that you were in this type of position or you were a boss or whatever, and you were questioning this employee, or you, in, you were, you know, a, a judge and you were questioning someone on trial, and they just ignore you. But you're trying your best to figure out what's going on, you're trying to resolve the situation, and you're asking these questions, nothing. Like, they just sit and stare at you. You're probably getting pretty angry at this point. Why? Because you're in authority, right? You're over them at this point, right? If you're a judge, I mean, their, their life's pretty much in your hands, their experience is pretty much in your hands. If you're their boss, like, their job could be in your hands. And they're just looking at you blank, and you're like, wait a minute. You're going to answer me. Don't you know who I am? And that's pretty much what's happening, except Jesus turns his face to Pilate, and he was like, I don't care who you are. You don't have the authority you think you have. And in that, Jesus is revealing that the authority wasn't truly Pilate's at all. It was God's authority that gave Pilate his position. Pilate was only who Pilate was because God paved the way for him to be there. It's God who has authority. It was God's authority that was being revealed. It was God's authority that had already written the story. And Jesus, as John has already clearly showed us, is God. And ultimately what Jesus is saying to Pilate is like, you don't have authority. I do. I'm in this situation because I wanted to be here. May we never forget that we are who we are. We are where we are because of God's gracious plans. May we never think more highly of ourselves than we should 
May we never trust in our own works and our own abilities over that of Jesus. And at that point, Pilate knew what he had to do. He knew what the right thing was to do. Anyone, anybody want to take a guess what the right thing to do was? To release him. Well, let's look at verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. There was your answer. But the Jews cried out. If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbath. Pilate knew what was right, but because he so feared man, because he so loved his position of authority, he was torn between releasing Jesus, which obviously was the right thing to do. That is, he was torn in believing Jesus and the story that Jesus was telling and the reaction of the Jews. And once again, Pilate gives way to men instead of doing the right thing. That is, he gave in to men instead of trusting God. And by this point, Pilate's time to release Jesus had passed. He thought he could still release Jesus, but it was over. He doesn't realize he may by this point, but that ship sailed a long time ago. Pilate never truly had the authority to release Jesus. But he still feared men. And what we see actually taking place here is that God is working all things for good. God's at work. Philippians 2.13 said, It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, we, we put our heads down and we walk that trail afraid of, of missing a step, afraid of rolling down a mountain, afraid of missing our opportunities before us because we have our goals, we have our visions, we have our dreams, we have what we want to accomplish, and we completely miss the entire redemptive work of God and what it means for our lives. You know, we've said this before, but God hasn't called us to something that is completely abstract. God has called each and every one of us here to something. And maybe internally, like, we're wrestling with that. Like, do I actually give in? Do I, do I really follow? Because I'm not sure what will happen. I'm not really in a workplace where I can proclaim the gospel. So, so if I start preaching the gospel, I'm going to lose my job. And if I lose my job, then I might lose my home. And if I lose my home, I might lose my family. I might lose everything. Or, or maybe God's called you to go somewhere across the 
the world. To a people who were not receptive to Jesus. And, and you, might, you might be saying, I, I enjoy my comforts here. And for right now, at least, I've got the freedom to worship how I want to worship. But if I go up there, I could die. May I remind you of Ephesians 2.10 again? Can you pull that up, Paul? Put him on the spot a little bit. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. I want you to see this. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It may be completely abstract to us. It may be completely unknown to us, but not to him. In fact, he's already prepared our steps. I know we use the example of Jim Elliott quite a lot. It's a story that a lot of people know. When Jim Elliott and his wife Elizabeth and their friends all took their families and they moved to Ecuador, do you think they knew that they, even though they were going to, to, to proclaim the gospel to headhunting, um, angry, like not normal folks, that they would lose their life? They probably had like, well, there's a possibility, but do you think they actually thought it would happen? Do you think they thought that as the five men went out to proclaim the gospel, to do the work in the jungle, that they would never come home to see their wives and their children again? They probably didn't know that. You know who did? God did. And by faith, they stepped out. By faith, they followed the Lord. And so I guess the question really is today is, are we trusting in the sovereign God of all things? Or are we simply stuck in our own ways and fearing people and, 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 and wanting to do our own thing? Do you think it's going to be good enough to stand before God one day and say, I know that Jesus came and I know Jesus did everything for me, but I didn't really, eh, I was pretty sure I could do it on my own. That's not going to fly. It's God who's working. It's God who's leading. And at this point, Pilate is completely helpless in his duties. And, and so he presents Jesus one last time. Look at verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. Quite the contrast from what he said last time he presented Jesus, isn't it? Because earlier he said what? Behold the man. Now he says, behold your king. And their response was no different. They cried out. Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. The religious people were so outraged by Jesus because he didn't fit their desires, he didn't fit their mold, he didn't fit their plan as Messiah, that they were willing to murder him. 
Oftentimes, our self-defined religion leads us to forsake Jesus rather than to trust him. Here's what I mean by that. There are a lot of people who assume they're Christian because they've checked some boxes. And they try to live this Christian life the way that they perceive it should be lived. But there is simply no escaping the reality that we all will stand before God. And we're either going to offer Him our own righteousness, our own works, or we're going to offer what has already been given, and that's the righteousness of Jesus. And here's the reality, guys. We could look at a lot of different roles played here, right? We could, we could look at Pilate, we could look at Peter, and we could look at the soldiers, we could look at the religious leaders, we could look at all of those, right, and, and see how they reveal our own flaws and our own character problems, but that would simply lead to more moralistic reasoning, and comparisons. That would only lead to the problem. The same problem that we face every day, which is that I can save myself if I do this, 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 and this. So I just need to do more and I need to try harder. When instead what we need to do and what we must do is to turn our attention to Jesus who although he clearly had authority and he could have easily bypassed the cross, he willingly gave himself over to be crucified. The innocent for the guilty, the the righteous for the unrighteous. And the question for us is how will you respond to him? How will you respond to his grace? you don't get anything today, I want you to get this. You can't save yourself. And your life of playing the game of Christian might fool a lot of people. But it doesn't fool God. And I'm not trying to guilt you into trusting in Jesus. I just want you to see Jesus for who he truly is. And I want you to think about what Jesus truly did on the cross. And I want you to look at your life and say, have I really trusted in the work of Jesus? Have I surrendered everything to him? Have I given him everything in return? So again, we're not simply trying to let you understand what you have been saved from, but what you are saved for. God doesn't save us so we can sit in our chairs and we can do our devotionals and we can post pithy memes on Facebook. God saves us to proclaim his glory 
to the ends of the earth. So how do you respond? How do we respond to him and his grace? I want to give you a quote from the Puritan Thomas Watson. Not to be confused with the golfer Tom Watson. It is Master's Week. But a quote from Thomas Watson. He says, to serve God, to love God, to enjoy God is the sweetest freedom in the world. It's not being enslaved and it's not being shackled. It's being set free to live the life that he has set apart for us to live. So today, may we behold our King. Let's pray. Our Father, may we never cease to rejoice in the work of Christ on the cross. May we behold our King. May we let pride that stands between a true conversion, a true repentance just crumble before us. And may we run to the cross to receive the gift of grace. Glorify yourself in this time. Radically change our lives so that we may live by your grace and for your glory for the rest of our days. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.